All right, the Baker Fairburn Hockey Show is live Wednesday evening, January 24th, 2024. We'll let some people get in here, Matthew. But um, happy Wednesday. Since you and I were last together, Matthew, the Sabres have uh, dropped two straight games. One at home, which was a big game to Tampa, dropping a 3-1 decision there. Really needed that one. They pack their bags, they get on the bird out west, and they open a three-game West Coast trip on Tuesday evening last night with a 4-2 loss to Anaheim. But I think that game wasn't as close as the final score indicates. It was a 3-0 score, I think, through probably, what, 54 minutes or so. Sabres pull the goalie and get a couple quick ones, but... It seems like Groundhog Day here, Matthew, I want to say, with this team. it's uh, They show signs of life. Can't sustain really anything <laughs> offensively, breakdowns. But I thought the Anaheim game last night was just – it had a different vibe, a different flavor than some of the other shortcomings that we've seen in this first half-plus of the season. You, you feel the same way about that? That game was just a cluster from kind of start to finish. Yeah, the way they came out was, you know, Kevin here in the chat says he turned the game off when it was three to nothing and that <laughs> the poor effort was shocking. Uh, he said it was the first time all year that he's done that, which I give Kevin a lot of credit if that's the first time all year that he's done that because there's been other games where it would have been justified. But that one, I definitely don't blame you, given the, you know, you got the late start on the East Coast, right? The 10 o'clock start. And, yeah. you know, you got Bouchagras on the call. Uh, you know, not everybody's, you know. Have they won tea. a game besides, like, I think Halloween where Tage had a bunch of goals and against Detroit. Have they won another game that Bouchagras has called? It seems like he's like the angel of death. It seems it seems he's not the best of luck, <laughs> especially this year. And they go down three to nothing to one of the worst teams in the NHL. Entering a road trip where the talk is about the urgency, right? And the, the need for points and putting a streak together. And that's the effort that they came out with. And so once again, after the game, we, we've got Don Granado talking about compete level and these buzzwords that are feeling empty at the moment. And, and I think that's the, you know, probably why Kevin uses the word shocking that, that here they are in late January at this point. And it's the same thing. There's no urgency, no energy really early in that game after a tough loss against Tampa where they played okay, but not, you know, these are losses that you could chalk up as, you know, tough nights if they were stacking points elsewhere, but they're not. And so I think there's a lot of common problems popping up. And it's why the conversation is going to keep coming back to Don Granado behind the bench, unfortunately for him, because I think part of it is how this roster was built. But sometimes the first solution that a general manager looks for is to swap out the coach and figure out if a different voice can spark something in the group. But I don't know. It feels too little too late for that at this point, doesn't it? You know, you I don't know. Um, I was thinking about it a little bit today. I don't know if it's too late. I mean, there's two scenarios. We've discussed them ad nauseum on this show. You keep them and you make a move in the off season. You don't disrupt things. But then, you know, we talked about the Vancouver situation from a year ago when they brought in Tocket. They installed the new system and it allowed them to kind of get ahead and get a good jump on this season in Vancouver. And that's kind of where I'm at. And I'm not one of these guys that is calling for jobs a lot of times, or I'm out, you know, headhunting, trying to, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm, I usually, I think I'm reading the situation, kind of understanding the Sabres budget 
understanding kind of how they've uh, built a long-term strategy here, but they have too much talent on the team. And I don't even think it's a Kevin Adams. I think you hit it. The reason that he should do it now is to freshen up that voice and get that talent going. It's not cover your ass if you're the general manager, because that's another play that a lot of uh, executives make is, okay, I'm going to make a move on the coach to buy myself some time and see if that's a... No, I think it's for the group of guys that you have. I, that's where I'm at right now. And it's, you know, you, you're you in the room with Don Granado. I know you appreciate him as a human being. I don't have any. I have no reason to not like him as a person other than he's not getting the job done. And, that, and it's a business. That's it for me. And I'm, I'm not one of these people to call. Like I said, I don't do that, but that's where I'm at with this group right now. Because then, cause you need to know about these players that you have the talents there. They could be two moves away, maybe from getting some guys in there to change the look of the team, to drag some of those other guys into the battle, but you don't know until you get a new voice. And I think that's where I'm at. I'm looking at that Vancouver thing. When, when we started talking about that last week, when you let it sink in a little bit, it seems like that's the move and see if you can replicate what the Canucks have done this year. I, I tend to agree and I'm with you in that I always have a hesitation, especially, you know, being there daily and, you know, you want to be judicious about, like you said, calling for people's jobs and and things like that. But I remember when Don Granado signed his contract extension, he felt like that wasn't job security. I remember him mentioning that in the press conference immediately after. He he understands the business, right? And he said, this is nice. It's a, a good gesture, but I also know without results, the contract alone isn't job security it might be a level of job security because this particular owner has paid a lot of people to not work for him. And Don Granado's new contract hasn't even kicked in yet, right? It starts in 2024, 2025 yeah. and goes through the 25, 26 season uh, at a reported salary of just under 2 million, which to Terry Pagula is not a tremendous amount of money because you know, there's a lot of people this week in Western New York that are antsy for perhaps a new football coach. That is a much more expensive endeavor because Sean McDermott is under contract through 2027. Salary unknown, but, you know, that number of years, he's a top 10 coach in the NFL. Market rate suggests you're looking at at least $30 million to pay him not to coach for you so completely different ballparks different situations but some similarities in that i think it's fair to wonder you know in each case has this guy taken us as far as as we can go as a franchise that's what i think terry pagula needs to be asking of both of his teams and now should really be turning his i don't think they're making a move uh you know with the football team which should save some money to if he needs to make one with the hockey team, because that's a reality, right? Like the financial reality of the Sabres is that, you know, we've talked about it, you know, that they aren't the biggest spenders in hockey right now, uh, whether it's on staff or players. And I actually think there should be financial motivation, Chris, to do this because each year, in the NHL, each year you don't make the playoffs, you're missing out on money. You're missing out on revenue from home games that mm -hmm. goes directly into your pocket. It's not like the NFL where it's a revenue share and it's a cash cow and you're making money hand over fist. That playoff revenue can, can make or break you. If you go 13 years without it in a league where half the teams make it, you're in rough shape. And so the two... 2 million, 4 million, you know, just under 4 million, whatever it might be, plus the money to hire a new coach, that could, if you become a playoff team year after year, that pays for itself. If you start selling out the building, they are second to last in the league in average capacity in the arena right now. 
Yeah, and it's actually gotten better lately. Right. They they improved and, over still last season. Nowhere close to average. And still, yeah. you know, you throw out the coyotes, they're, you know, hundred percent every night, but there's only four thousand people in there. So that's yeah. revenue wise, you know, hurting. I think they're I fifth know, or sixth year high school gym. Right. <laughs> pretty much. I mean, you know, they're practically playing in Harbor Center. The the they're like fifth or sixth lowest in total, not just the total raw number of attendance average per game, but just from capacity, they're second to last behind, you know, ahead of only the sharks. So, and that's not a reason to make a move. That's not, you know, but it, it has to be all factored in, in a sport where we've mentioned coaches get changed out a lot. And since we last recorded Patrick Waugh is now the coach of the Islanders, a team that was in the playoffs last year a team that's hung around, you know, the, the wild card conversation year after year. And they're in the wild card conversation right now. And they made a move. A lot of teams have made a move and there's five now in the NHL this season. And I would argue that the Sabres are one of the most underperforming teams in the NHL. So the patience piece of it, you know, I can see, but after Tuesday night, some of the answers I don't know. It felt like they were to come out like that in a game of that nature. And then to be returning to some of the same answers, not a lot of anger. It seemed like from Don Granado more so resignation or, or, you know, being defeated, deflated, you know, Mm -hmm. those were the words that came to mind watching him. That's where you start to wonder. Now, you were following this team closer than I was when the Ralph Kruger fiasco finally came to an end. That took a long time. And so I don't know how close Terry Pagula, Kevin Adams are on this one. This is a guy that they, I think, like even more than they liked Kruger. Oh, and, has done, do. and he's done better. He has done a lot of good things, which we don't need to qualify every time we talk about this, but he has done some good things for this franchise. So I think it may be something that isn't doesn't happen as quickly as people might want it to happen, and maybe it doesn't happen this season at all. I don't know. A couple of weeks ago, I was asking you how much of the injuries played a part in the Sabres, where their placement is in the standings, giving them the benefit of the doubt. When you watch that game on Tuesday and the importance of the game coming off the Tampa loss, coming off a disappointing homestand, we talked about it when they were at home. They, what was it, a six-game homestand? We said you got to win four of them. They won three of them. They fell short there. That effort on Tuesday, the guys weren't ready to play. The coach's job, coaches in the NHL, from my perspective, amongst, I think, their highest-ranking priorities, coaches – they don't teach guys how to score. Their job really is to prevent guys from the other team from scoring. But more importantly, it's to get all of the guys together and get them ready to play. And I don't think that they came out ready again. How many first periods do we need to see where they're flat? They don't have the jump. They get behind early. It's regression. When you do the comparison, McDermott, McDermott has a, Huge business case to keep his job. Playoffs, the regression, you can argue there's been a regression, but it hasn't been that steep negative regression that the Sabres have gone through this year. They are set right now to have the sixth best lottery odds. I cover the draft every year. I'm tired of talking about the top 10 prospects in the draft. Tired of it. And this roster... Coming off last season where they missed a playoff by one point, there's no reason that we should be talking about that this year. There's no reason that we should be seeing this team consistently come out flat. Coach has to get his guys ready. And I don't, I'm not saying necessarily that Granado doesn't have the ability to do it. It might be just it's not working. His message is not being consumed and digested by the group. It's a young group. But you're you're not going to change. 10 guys, you're not going to change 15 guys in the room. You can change one guy, give him a fresh voice. And there's guys out there from the outside. Cause that's the other part of this. You could sit there and piss and moan about making a coaching change to wake the guys up. You can't do it unless you have a plan. 
And in this market, it has to come from outside of the bubble that they have, that they're operating in right now. Again, I don't, it's an uncomfortable conversation for me because I don't do it. I don't look at it from the fan lens either, you know, where I get like really emotionally wrapped up. It's just watching the product and seeing all the talent that these guys have and them consistently come up short. That's my conclusion. So I don't know. You know, I don't, and I, I think you're right though. When you talk about um, the Kruger and it took a while and they dragged it out and are we going to do that again? We might, I don't know. I'm just saying what I would do if I had any influence, if I'm sitting there in the boardroom and they're like, what, Chris, what do you think we should do? Got to make a move on the coach. It'd be a very quick reflex answer. That's kind of where I'm at. So I don't know. It's tough, man. Um, yeah. Like we've talked about, there's only so much, you know, as we've started to navigate and turn from the idea that they could make the playoffs this year, which seems to have vanished. Odds are very, very small. As we've turned our attention to what happens next, right? Is it you run it back with the same roster? Are there tweaks to be made? Which players are tradable? Which, how can you give this lineup a different look? Like you mentioned, this is the easiest way to get a different look, to get a different Matthew, spark. What, I don't want to, I don't want to just interject, but you have all these young players that have upside people like everybody on the roster. There's someone that's going to have an opinion. Oh, trade uh, cousins, trade so-and-so cousins has a ton of upside. No one's talking about Benson, right? But like all these guys, Tate Thompson still has upside. He still has a ceiling to achieve. The coach really doesn't. The coach is who he is, who he was last year is who he is this year is who he's going to be tomorrow. That's why I don't think you need to do a ton of surgery necessarily on the roster. You try the voice that's guiding that roster. The coach isn't going to develop into something else. The coach is the coach. That's who he is. You know what I mean? I think that's what is part of this, what's pushing me really to like jam this message out there from my lens. Yeah, it's tricky because he is a first-time NHL head coach. So in theory, there is this idea, I think, with Kevin Adams and Don Granado that they can learn and grow on the job, which I think they can. But I think to your point, the message is going to be the message, right? The messenger is going to be the messenger. Don Granado might come up with some better concepts or better drills or different ideas for how to shut certain teams down and might better learn to navigate the pressure, deliver his messages, but they're still coming from the same person. And I think in this sport in particular, the reason you see changes happen as often as you do is because sometimes those messages just wear out, right? Sometimes a new voice, a different style of voice with a different background, a different pedigree, whatever it may be, can wake up the group. And it should not absolve Kevin Adams completely of doing other things to make this team better. But yeah, when you isolate the factors of what's happening, why they're losing games, how these games are unfolding, it's hard not to arrive at that conclusion. They're getting great goaltending lately. Mm-hmm. I thought they got decent goaltending on Tuesday night. I thought UPL was what, fine. 33, something like that. 30 plus right. saves. He had a 915 save percentage in that Goaltending this season on the whole isn't a very big problem for the team. And so the problem is, you know, regression offensively, power play. Power play. Like yeah. there, there's these, you know, slow starts, power play, uh, you know, inconsistent compete level inability to win three games in a row players have responsibility of course in all of that right they're the ones out there playing but all of those things feel like coaching to me power play not having an answer from the second half of last season until now you're drawing up schemes if there's somewhere where your coaching acumen and your scheme can come through 
most, it's on the power play, right? You can draw things up and, and move things around, and they've been flat all year. To your point, if there's one place where your ability to get through can come out, it's how your team starts games. And it, this has to be unbelievably frustrating for Don Granado because I've had people ask me, is it is there something wrong with his system or are guys not, you know, I don't believe that. Right. I don't believe that this guy doesn't know hockey. I don't, you know, I think he's a really No, he's smart, a good coach. Uh, it's just not working with exactly, this group right now. Right. That's it, it. It's just That's a it. it's just a bad match in this moment. And that is on the players as much as it is on Don Granado. And that, going back to some of our earlier conversations, is part of why, you know, I started to entertain this idea in this this conversation because these guys need to be woken up, it feels like. There's too much talent for this to be the result. And they need to do some work on the roster too, but there's just too much there for this to be happening. Like, you can't be losing to the Ducks like that. You know, if John Gibson stole the game, that would have been one thing. But you can't lose to them like that. You can't lose to a backup goalie in the Tampa Bay Lightning in a must-win game at home. You know, two three nothing shutouts against the Sharks and the Blackhawks. You know, two of the worst teams in hockey by goal differential and in the standings. I don't know if that gave them some sort of false sense of confidence, like they were turning things around, but neither win was emphatic or impressive. No, but they could have used it. It could have been a confidence booster. It could have been, but right it wasn't. Way, but it wasn't. If they had Man, false confidence going into the lightning game, that's their own their own fault because those were not, you know, those were not confidence boosting wins uh, on the scoreboard or or on the ice. Just watching them, so yeah, it's it's tough because there were injuries that that hurt them early in the year, and you know certainly didn't help Don Granado's case. I also noticed a few things. We mentioned, I, th I think we mentioned on the show, Don Granado bringing up Jack Quinn, you know, repeatedly when talking about injuries, which is funny to me because it was an off season thing and there was a window of opportunity to take action and make that not a problem for your first 30 games, which lies at the general manager's feet. After Saturday's game, and this is what we call a segue, Chris, I'm about to shift gears on you. So I hope you're ready. After Saturday's game, he was talking about going to the net, right? They were playing too much on the perimeter. And he mentioned that that's a character trait that some players have. When asked, you know, whether it was a mentality that the team needs to have night after night. And he said, it's just a character trait that some players have. I asked him on Monday and he said, you know, whether he believes that can be developed which he does. I mean, how could a guy with a development background like Don Granato not think anything could be developed? But his reflex to say it was a character trait that some players have made me wonder whether he feels or whether they actually have enough players on the roster who have that trait right now. The answer is obviously no, right? They don't. But is that a you know, admission from Don Granado of, Hey, I want the guys to go to the net might just not be in the fabric of enough of these guys. And, you know, I, in my story after the game on Saturday, I included their shot charts from, from this season, because I was curious because it felt like I'd heard it so many times, right? Uh, we played a little too much on the perimeter. We wanted an easy game from guys in the locker room or Don Granado, we got to have more of a, a, a net mentality, a drive the net mentality and get to the front of the net. And so I looked up the shot chart and this season's is glaring. I mean, the middle of the ice is just dark blue last seasons in the slot. There's a lot of red. They were able to get to middle ice and create high danger chances in that slot area. But the very front of the net dark blue to which I thought maybe this is just how the game is is played. I don't want to blame the Sabres if this is a no. league-wide thing. So the I NHL up, is a paint game. 
So I pulled up the Bruins shot chart. It is dark red in front of the net, sort of red over in Pasternak's spot, and that's it. It's right in front of the net, and that's the best team in the NHL. That is not to say you just need a bunch of goons that post up in front of the net. It's to say that is a skill that is lacking on this team. Zach Benson is a net front player, right? Like a guy that understands how to get there. And as he gets stronger and more experienced, I think we'll be better at finishing around the net. But they have guys that should be dominant around the net based on their physical stature and their puck skills. And they're not. So can you drill that into some of these guys? Maybe. But so far, uh, Don Granado hasn't been able to do it, not consistently enough. And you look at some of these games that they're winning. You look at last night uh, when they're scoring goals at the end. Jordan Greenway's right in front of the net. It's not always that the guy in front of the net is tipping or getting the rebound, even setting up the screen or, you know, Huge. it's it's massive. It's such a big part of the game. You watch every night how some goals are scored. They're not scored from where the, the Sabres shoot from most often, that's for sure. And, you know, I think that is something a lot of these guys need to learn. Or Kevin Adams needs to find more guys who've already learned it. Well, yeah. So when we're talking about doing roster surgery, whether it's, you know, you start that process now looking for a hockey trade or you address it in the off season, identifying those guys that have that character flaw, not a character trait where they don't go to that. It's a character flaw. If you're playing hockey and you're not going to the net, if you know, it's a paint game, those are the guys that you got to put on your list of, you know, there's two buckets of players that you're going to have going with these guys next year. These guys I'm willing to part with. I think on the size thing also, I wonder if this is going to start to, because, you know, the bigger players are going to be the ones that naturally are going to have more of that effect in front of the net. We just talked about Greenway is one of their biggest forwards, probably is their biggest forward, right? Besides Tage. And when you're looking to maybe move some of the other currency, the prospects that you have, you have a lot of smaller guys that are dynamic offensive players. Maybe you start to say in your mind, okay, you know what? I love their skill level, but they might not have that physical makeup of what I need my team to be down the road. Hopefully these are all learnings <laughs> because it's not working with this group. I don't think, I don't think they're like a ton of moves away. I don't think it's like that. I don't think it's radical. Start with the coach, the message, and then some tweaks from there and small pieces to see. I hear what you're saying about the offseason. You know, I didn't see this coming. I shared that with you five episodes ago. Just shocked at the outcome. After watching the team last year and thinking that they were going to have that year-over-year -year growth, good relationship between the coaching staff and the players. Didn't happen, right? I didn't see it coming. Maybe that relationship is a little too comfortable with the coach and the players. That's a possibility too. I mean, and part of why we talk about it's not, it doesn't have to be an indictment of Don Granato as a hockey coach, as a, you know, yeah. knowledgeable hockey person. Like the analogies that, that get brought up, you know, is, is going from Mark Jackson to, to Steve Kerr, uh, Doug Collins to Phil Jackson. You know, the, mm -hmm. the Bulls going from Doug Collins to Phil Jackson, the Warriors going from from, from Mark Jackson to, to Steve Kerr, the Buccaneers going from Tony Dungy to John Gruden, right? You know, the Don Granado was good for that development stage, and I think the question everybody always had was when it was time to compete, would he be ready for that stage? Because it is a different ball game, right? I've often wondered if they made the playoffs – <clears throat> this staff is so inexperienced, not just on Granado, but who on that staff would, would know how to, how to game plan, how to set the practice schedule, how to, you know, they'd probably be leaning on guys like Eric Johnson in some regard. And, and that's, you know, when you talk about hitting that next phase, that's where sometimes just finding that new voice, finding that, that more experienced, blend of coaches 
Because I don't think it's just the head coach here. I think there's a, no, a staff-wide inexperience yeah. that, you know, a lot of this falls at at all of their, their feats in a sense. But, yeah, it doesn't feel like it needs to be drastic. That The more I've gone through, and, and we'll have plenty of time because that's what the second half of the season is going to end up being, is figuring out who should, you know, who some of these guys are, frankly. Uh, we had Brian Cummings in the chat, you know, mentioning like, what if Tage is just a 35 goal guy? What if Tuck is just a 25 goal guy? What if Cousins is just a 20 goal guy? You know, if all three of those things are true, and then that's a major bummer for how the core has been put together. But it's also a possibility that last year was a bit of an anomaly production wise for some of these players. But I think you start to find that out in the second half of the season. And to your point, you figure out which pieces need to be subbed in and out. And I think that is, I actually for a while kind of threw my hands up and thought, well, it's too late to get the new coach bump. So what's the point? No, but, it's not. But it's not too <laughs> late to bring in a new coach and figure out who works with that guy and how, and get his system working and all those things and evaluate that way. So it's you're you're going to be more effective in the off season making the adjustments to the roster if you know what the system is and who's acclimating to that system. You're going to know who you have to roll with next year if you make that move on the coach. Now, you talk about uh, Doug Collins and Phil Jackson, and I remember watching those Bulls teams. Man, Phil Jackson put structure into that team. I don't know about the Dungey to Gruden thing. I don't know. But I know the Bulls had structure when Phil Jackson was put on that. And once they had the structure, they can go out and get a, an idiot, you know, like Rodman and all that stuff. Because they had structure, you know. And that's another point that they probably are there. You can see it on the ice. The team right now is lacking structure. Not to go back to the coach. You tried to segue out of this. Well, no, but it's all part of but it. But it keeps all... coming back. Yeah, it all fits. And I part of structure, too, and part of the value of that is guys knowing their roles, right? Because I think a common refrain about the Sabres team is too many of the same type of player, which I think is true to an extent, but it's it's part of the. It's part of the identity that they've formed. Or the lack of identity is that not enough guys have defined roles. And even the ones that do, it sort of feels like, like Peyton Krebs feels like he now has a defined role, but he feels like he was kind of shoehorned in there and without an opportunity to find a different role. And I think it it might just be time for a more experienced set of eyes, steadier hand to come in and, kind of assess things because if you get an experienced coach who's been around a winner and you know understands all that you almost have two and one if you get the right guy right where mm -hmm. it's kevin adams isn't experienced as a gm either so you almost want some of that a guy that not to say you're going to give him full personnel control but a guy that that can take control a little bit and, and going to help Adams actually be more effective at his job. Exactly. And, and identify and demand certain things because even if Don Granado shares blame with Kevin Adams, which he does because, you know, part of this is how the roster was made up. Part of it is not adding more depth at forward, not getting a legit top four defenseman. Some of these things that show your, that I think set the tone of, comfortability that everything last year was was a-okay that was that was general manager as well but you know don granado has some involvement to what extent is hard to to really say but if you get kind of that that old school it doesn't even have to be old school but experienced you know personality in the room to say no, we need this, or this guy doesn't fit. Like like Rod Brendamore in Carolina, right? Mm -hmm. Who 
And I'm not saying go get Rod Brendamore by all means, if he's available, pounce he's on that. But yeah. uh, <laughs> he, I don't think he would come here, but I'm saying Rod Brendamore, when he got to Carolina was one of the first things he did. Got rid of Jeff Skinner. It was mm-hmm. just a matter of that guy. He's not going to play for me, right? Like he doesn't go to the right areas of the ice. He's just not my kind of player. So very black boom. and white decision. Boom. Like, he wasn't trying to go. He wasn't going to put a square peg through a round hole. I love that. And maybe you need some of that with, all of this similar type of player, all this talent, all these prospects, maybe you can come in and look and say, you almost need an outside set of eyes, I think, because you have stockpiled so much talent in the pipeline and so many young promising players that I think Kevin Adams and Kevin Adams is big on developing relationships in the locker room. I think it's a big deal. I think it's a net positive, but one of the drawbacks is, a little too much personal connection, right? Where it's it's yeah. hard to move on from guys and it's hard to make difficult decisions. Whereas some of these GMs sit up in the office and money guys, ball. Don't, guys don't ever see them, but they're able to make cold calculated moves that, that can push the thing forward. And so maybe an outside set of eyes who has enough experience to be able to shape the roster could come in and say, yeah, you know what? Th- this prospect, I can't, I can't forecast where he fits. He's got talent though. He's got value. I just can't forecast where he is for me and in, in my system. And that's hard to do at the moment when you've had multiple years of building and drafting with all the same people in the room, all the same voices. And everybody says, well, we love this guy. We picked him at X, Y, and Z pick. Seth's been raving about him in Rochester and, and he's been doing great things. And, you know, Somebody could come outside and just pull a Rod Brendamore and be like, yeah, that guy can't play for me. Let's get, let's get something for him. Let's That's get part this of type of guy way. instead. You mentioned Apper and, you know, they play the same system in Rochester. They mirror systems. You know, you're not going to play one system in the farm and one system up here. That's the other part of the puzzle. When you bring in a new coach, that system that gets installed in Buffalo has to be installed in Rochester. And is Seth Appert the guy, right? So it's an all of a sudden there is a trickle down effect there. You gotta, you gotta do it, man. You have to do it sooner. If you already know what the end of the the book is, you know, the end of the movie, just let's just get to it. <laughs> it's like well, and there I don't should think it's be, gonna work. Yeah. There should be urgency and not to, you know, bring up too much football here, but I, I feel like there's parallels in the situation, even though they're at very different stages, right? The McDermott's got a nice CV to point to, right? For why he shouldn't mm-hmm. lose his job. But I think the, the camp that is in, Hey, maybe strive for better on that is because they have one of the best quarterbacks on the planet. And so it's a matter of each year that passes by where you miss an opportunity, you know, there's a chance to freshen things up or go for it or have an offensive mind or whatever, whatever argument people want to use for this hockey team. I feel similarly because of all the things that we're talking about, there's talent here and each year that passes by some of these guys get older, but that's not even my main concern. Each year that passes by this hockey market does not deserve it. Chris, like 13 years, it's going to be an NHL record. Half the teams make the playoffs. You think you would have done it by accident at some point. Yeah. And so like each year that passes by is doing damage to, to the, the market, the fan base, the, the interest. And I think people come back when the team wins because it's fun and the building will be full and it's filled up at times over the last two years. I don't worry that it'll be permanently damaged, but it's like, let's go. Let's get, let's, let's get this thing back. Like it's right there. The pieces it's are right there. there. No, it, the it's, pe- that's my whole point, man. Like that's it doesn't need point, to be man. torn down. It's not the Kruger situation. It's not, you know, it's, no. it's right there. It was right there this year. If they had, you know, played better at different times or caught slightly better injury luck, may, I don't know if the injury luck really would have done much, but if they had just played more to their potential or found a rhythm earlier in the season, gotten some confidence. I don't know what, but it is right there. Like, like there's hope for as soon as next season that they can get, you know, into that playoff conversation again, but there needs to be some action. You can't just, you can't expect the players to show urgency or 
you know, whatever went at the, at the top, it's not there is what I, that's what I think. And I feel like it wasn't there last off season when I expected more of it. My first, I took this job in May or June of 2022. So that off season coming in, I kind of expected to be a quieter one, kind of expected it to be a, you know, that the last year was going to be the, let the young guys go, let it ride. And, and I thought, Last summer, it was like, okay, here we go. It's going to be a busy, busy off season in some respect. Maybe there's a big move somewhere. Maybe there's, and there was just a few, a few small signings, filling out the depth, bringing a lot of guys back, kind of running it back with the same group. And that needs to change, I think. There needs to be some urgency somewhere. And I think, you know, we've kind of identified the easiest place to start. Sabres are five and five in their last 10, 468 win percentage on the season after they win tonight inevitable in LA. right after inevitable. this conversation this it inevitable. always happens by the way no it always happens um you know they'll have 46 points after they win tonight but they'll still be you know they have 44 points right now so coming into the game they're nine points back in the final wild card spot that's you know they're in they're beyond the danger zone at this point um not saying impossible We've seen it. We've seen it happen before, but I don't know if lightning strikes twice. Like, see, this is like St. Louis territory. You know, in St. Louis, it was like January one that year they won the cup. They were like, like pretty much where Buffalo is in the standings. Well, that happens how many times in a lifetime? But um, and they fired their coach, right? And but they fired happened, their coach. Yeah, <laughs> it happened in November, I think. And it took a while yeah, to it, get everybody up to speed and the whole thing. But yeah. It doesn't happen uh, often for a reason. One um, bright spot from the Anaheim loss. I thought Thompson actually played like he cared. He was getting a little more physical. I don't know if it's because his dad was watching. <laughs> you know what I mean? But that was encouraging. And you can say, who cares? They lost the game. Well, you don't see it all the time. You haven't seen it every night from him this year. When he does it, it stands out. I wanted to point that out. Because if they are going to improve, if the status quo is the same with the personnel that is guiding the team, Tage has to do that every game. What do we say at the top? Get those guys are going to drag their teammates into things, pull the you know pull everyone up. I thought that, that was encouraging. Um, but man, guys like falling on their face, like Clifton. I felt bad for Clifton and the toe pick. Like I know that shit happens, but not that was at the worst time. Ryan Johnson fell. Best skater on the team. Right. Um, I was going to say. <laughs> it's like, it's, um, so man, yeah, it's just, um, you know, hopefully we don't see that again. I do think they're going to win the game tonight, but I guess my, my whole thing too, just, I'm, I'm going to go back to the coach. When you were on your leave in December, we had the fire Granado chant and Darlene was like, from here on in, we're playing for Don. I don't know, man. Is it going? That, is it really? That's why yep. I mentioned the record. They're five and five in their last 10. I don't know if they're playing for Don. It doesn't feel like well, it. Not in the first periods. <laughs> they're they not, did it. They did it for themselves. Toronto. They did against Toronto. And yeah. But it's not lasting longer than a game or two. And they played great against Vancouver, right? They don't get a goal. Demko has a great game. It's just a quality hockey game where you lose one nothing to a really good team. And after that, you have those that should have been the momentum, the the mojo that they've been searching for. It's like there we are against the best team, one of the best teams in hockey right now. And like I said, they had those two, three to nothing shutouts against the Sharks and, and the Blackhawks, but did those feel like like mojo boosters? You know, not totally. So yeah, that that struck me too, right? That the fire Donnie chance, you know, at the last handful of home games haven't been there. But do we feel like the team has dramatically or emphatically stated with its play that they are playing for Donnie. 
No, and it, that's my I just whole don't, point. I don't see I just, it, man. I just don't. I haven't seen it since then. You know, you're playing like a 500 hockey team around there. I, I don't know the rec- the exact record since that. That game was Columbus on the 23rd, I think. Right? So it's been a month. And I don't know that we'd say it's been a dramatic turnaround since that game. So, and a lot of it's not that they're running into bad luck or they're getting bad goaltending or, you know, it's compete level. Same things that keep coming up, not getting to the net. Same thing. Nope, not getting to the net. Compete level. Guys are competing. There was more color to that, though. The comment that you got that was Saturday, right? When when Granado said that comment about the character trade and guys right. going to the net, you're starting to get a little more color. He's starting to share more. In a way, is he's sharing more to maybe the guys will hear what he's saying and motivate them. Here's the thing. my uh, In my private life, away from hockey, I have a job worked for the same company for 20 years. We had a very trying year. I got a new boss this year. We've been working our ass off <laughs> with my new boss that I report to. That's also part of it. It's, it's, it's a business. Those guys just play a game for their job, but it's a business. They need a new boss. <laughs> yeah. I mean, me. it's human psychology. Was, and was, right? I, was I a little comfortable before I got my new boss? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was I napping in that recliner that I put in my office? Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> maybe from time to time if I had a break in the schedule. Sure. Absolutely. You know? But anyways, I just want to share. I mean, you know, people can say well, that's a bad example. It's not. It's the only example I know because that's my job and that's their job. I think that's everybody. Boss came in and it's let's say, hey man, you know, and my team's grinding. I got a couple of people that report to me. They got the message from me saying, Hey, we got to start kicking some ass, you know, no more bullshit. And we're killing it right now. We're grinding. I could see the same thing happening. Um, all is not lost. Anyways, they're going to win the game tonight. Though They're going to win the game tonight. James mentions they're seven, five and one since the Columbus blow up. So seven, five and one. Yeah, I guess they are because they had a little bit of it. Yeah, they went three and three at home. I don't know. You're only as good as yesterday's press clippings. They've lost two in a row. <laughs> so it's and like, two of those wins. Well, yeah, I know. You, yeah, three of those wins Chicago were the worst, and, worst teams yeah. in hockey. Chicago, Ottawa, and San Jose. Teams they should Let's, beat. Um, but. We're at 48 minutes or so. Let's clear out some uh, comments and get you on your way. It's a 1045 start tonight. We're already stepping on yeah, Duffer and Marty. They pushed it back, huh? Yeah, we don't want to, you know, step wanna, on Duffer you know, and Marty. I don't want to step on Duffer and Marty. Um, what do we got here? Let's throw a Spike up here. This stuff has been going on in Buffalo since 0708 and those Roy Vanek Stafford years to Country Club attitude. I don't know. I'm not down there. Matthew would have a better read on that, but uh, it could. There's sometimes maybe I get that sense a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. But again, I'm just speculating. I can't say that for a fact. By all means, Matthew, if you see something, fire it up. Um, Chikrin, there's some Chikrin commentary in here. Yeah, there were people talking about deals that were realistic or deals that weren't made in action from Kevin Adams. And the two trades that come to mind uh, that Medford Jared brings up are Matt Murray, which Matt Murray nixed, and Chikrin, which they sounded somewhat close on, but weren't willing to part with certain prospects. Oddly enough, Chikrin might be available again. Sounds uh, like Chikrin or Shabbat's going to have to go out of there. Chikrin probably didn't wouldn't fix all their problems. Uh, he's got you know, but he's he might be available again. So. Was that a good deal to pass on? Maybe. I don't know um, how he would have fit in here. Guy that likes to run the power play when two guys are already kind of doing it. But to the previous comment about the country club attitude, 
with a little competition for the top two power play spots on the league's 27th ranked power play have been a bad thing. Yeah, I mean, I would go and I would, I would kick the tires because I mean, well, oh. I, I, it gives you flexibility to make additional moves. You know, not all moves are just made singularly. And he's going to have to pay. You're going to have to pay him all this stuff. But the idea that, well, you can't go get another power play quarterback when you got your two power play quarterbacks, you know. Well, hey, Medford Jared, is that is that Medford, Massachusetts? I think I know who that is. If you could throw that in the comment. I think that's an old school Jared. Sorry, I, I want to sneak that in. Medford, Mass. Sure is. All right, JJ. Um, Cummings. The Avalanche might have to sacrifice Gerard to fill holes at the, at, up front at the deadline. Yeah. Um, smallish offensive guy. He's got something going on this year too. Doesn't Gerard have uh is he playing right now? I've lost that track of Sam Gerard. Steven Cantor wants to bet me a cocktail that the Sabres lose to the Kings. I'll bet a cocktail. Sabres going to win tonight. Sabres going to win tonight. That's just how it goes, Steven. That's not um, wishful thinking. It's like any time we feel like they're low, except for like I think they lost four in a row at one point this year, I want to say, like late November, somewhere around there. Um, other than that, whenever we're like feeling the doom and gloom, like you feel like it can't get any lower, they, they win a game. That's just kind of where I'm coming from on that, Steven. Um, but I'll bet you a cocktail on that. Absolutely. I like tequila. All right, we're shaking on it. We got it here. Here's a question for you, Chris. And I don't... Somebody mentioned while we were talking about net front. I believe somebody mentioned Isak Roseanne. Mm -hmm. And I'd be curious from your vantage point, watching these guys, who has some of that? in the system like who are the guys to to watch that maybe maybe they do have some home i know they they got rid of cedarquist who was sort of the yeah cedarquist but always had, he had is, capped upside but had some of that yeah he just didn't have the foot speed to play so like guys i think that like have a legitimate chance um pull top and russia gets to the net um he's always around the net that's his mentality he's downhill just he's one aggressive. more year after this one. Is one more right? year. One more year. Um, Jake Richard, who's a freshman at UConn, is a big fixture in front of the net with UConn playing on their second line right now. Um, got off to a hot start. Now he's he's kind of that dual threat. He's got a really good shot from range, but he sets up, um, you know, back to the goalie. He's got kind of a big ass, you know, like he uses his body to take the goalie's eyes away. But he's also got, he's also scoring on some deflections. Those are two that immediately come to mind. Um, well, I I didn't see the comment about Rosane. The one thing I'll say about Rosane as it relates to the slot area is he's getting there more this year. He goes to the net. He he's one of those guys that takes what's given to him. But I still think there's more. He still has more room to go. Rosane's excellent player though. Like he he could be very valuable to an NHL lineup even if he's not scoring because of his speed, he can kill penalties. He's got a really nice, you know, shot. That's the biggest thing though, year over year through his first two seasons in North America is his ability to get to the middle of the ice more and go to the net more. Um, some of the other guys, like the big one for me though, is pull top off. Um, just trying to think, you know, Savoy goes to the middle of the ice. He goes to the net, but not like those guys. Savoy's playing center now, by the way, in Musha. He's playing this on the wing this year. Um, other than that, I'm just kind of scanning the list real quick. Uh, you know, Nadeau, but Nadeau might be more in that um, Cedarquist bucket where it's a foot speed concern. He's got to get a little more explos uh, explosion, acceleration out of the blocks. If he's going to make it right now, he's scoring goals down on the Coast League. But um, other than that, you know, some of the other guys are too far off. You know, Miedema's got the body, but he, and he gets there, but he's not, I wouldn't classify him as that. That's it really. Um, the uh, rest of the guys are all, um, you know, longer shot prospects. Von Barnick, Wahlberg actually is the other guy. Wahlberg was the one I was sitting. That's why I wanted, I brought the list up because I, I knew I was missing an obvious one. Wahlberg's an obvious one. I mean, we saw it at, at team, uh, for team Sweden at the world juniors, his whole job on that line with Oslin, like Maki was a, uh, 
net front guy. Wins corner battles, big on the boards, but he can also move back checks really well. Crosses the ice, goes from one side of the ice to the other. Nice route, wins pucks that way. I'm going to stop there because I'll make this a, a prospect podcast, and I know we don't want to do that. Because I can go on all day about this. Worth shit. mentioning, though, when we always point out that, you know, it's not always as easy as plugging guys in from the outside if guys aren't going to come to Buffalo or no trade clauses, the whole thing. I, James Campbell was the one with the comment, and I apologize. I had one eye on the chat and, and one on our conversation. He was mentioning Roseanne as somebody who was not in that mold. I believe he says he's a floater. That's um, what I see his comment yeah. here. No, James, he's not here. I'll throw it up. No, he's not. That's not true. That's not true, James. And I like James, but I also, I've seen Rosane develop this year into more of a worker. Seth Appert. And if you don't want to believe me, listen to Seth Appert, Appert's comments in his press conferences and his post games constantly praising Rosane's work rate and his responsible play this year. But you see it when you watch though, too, he's out there. He's working. He's working. Thoughts on the lineup tonight. Let's talk about the lineup real quick. I don't have it. Let me pull you got it, it right here. here. It's uh, um, Benson Olafson and Samuelson are your scratches. Skinner okay. Thompson. Ocposo is your top line. Cousins between Quinn and Paterka, Middlestat between Jordan Greenway and Alex Tuck, Krebs between Zemgis Gergensen and Robinson, and then it's Darlene and Bryson, Power and Yoki Haru, Ryan Johnson, Connor Clifton. So, some Eric I mean, Johnson is on injured reserve. He's on IR. So Benson, I conceived the scratch. He did not have the best game um, thus far against Anaheim, some giveaways, but he wasn't the only one. Middlestad had a key giveaway on that first goal. Um, this is weird combinations. Um, I have to like kind of just sit back and kind of go through this. Did they pull him out of a hat? Put them well, together? Brian um, Cummings now wants in on the cocktail bet now that uh jeez. All uh, right, let's Jacob go up. Now that Jacob Bryson's in the lineup. I got uh, a I got a bonus. Or as Brian Cummings calls him, minus two. So Michael sure also that lineup, yeah. Chris? yeah, I'm doubling down on this, guys. I'm doubling down on this. So we've got three uh We've got at least two right. people that that want in on the cocktail action. So Spike, I probably owe Spike one anyways. Actually, he um, bought me a couple fingers of tequila. I did have a drink with him in the past, but yeah, the other guys, yeah, I'll I'll buy I'll buy you a drink even if they win. I don't care. I'm always up for a drink. Dry, uh, there is no dry January in my world. I may have had a couple uh, after work today. Who's to say? Two. I only had two. I had, to, I had to get out of the house, man. Went to the nice Mexican restaurant, a couple of margaritas, whatever. Drinking water now. And I'm coherent. It's that time of year. You gotta yeah. get you gotta get out of the house. Devin Levi's in net, by the way. So. Okay, so Levi and Net. So okay, so once again, Skinner Thompson Akposo. Quinn Cousins Paterka. Okay. Greenway, Middlestat, Tuck. That's got like a Minnesota vibe. Tuck, I think, was uh originally drafted by the Wild. Greenway also drafted by the Wild. Casey may someday play for the wild. Uh, okay, I'm uh, uh, just kidding. University of Minnesota. Gergensen Casey is Robinson. the most Minnesota okay. guy in the locker room. But yeah, and then, a lot of Minnesota pride there. Boy, that's that's really interesting. Yeah, I'll, I'll still I'm still confident. It doesn't matter. You know, again, this this proves the point. Like, you know, you think they're low and they're going to they're going to come out. I uh and maybe the the one thing that worries me about the game tonight is like are the Kings going to be riding high cuz it's a Kopitar ceremony. He's their guy. He's their pillar, their tent post. So maybe, uh, you know, but, but here's the thing though. Sabres better learn some lessons from that game. Short memory, right? It's like, um, you know, no, no, don't have a short memory. Actually. Remember what happened last night, come out, play hard, get off to a good start. And we'll know in the first six minutes if they're going to win the game. Yeah. A lot of people will probably use those first six minutes as, a sign of whether they should go to bed or not. Yeah. Ten, well, there you go. You know, a 1045 Eastern start for the fans. Uh, anybody gutting this one out. 
I'll be up with you. So feel free to to send me a, a tweet. But um, I'll be. I, up. I give I'm people a lot up. of credit. Yeah, I'll be up. I did get like a 15 to 18 minute cat nap, and that's all I need, man. So that was from uh, 8:40 to 8:55. Then I got up and sent the link out for this podcast, and here we are. There you go. No. That's. I think. I think that's a good place, right? It's 10:20. Your kids are already in bed, right? They're not, uh, this would be crazy late for them. (laughs) (laughs) If they're not, something has gone horribly wrong since I came down here. One last one. Let's let's send us out on this because Mike, this is a new name in the chat that I don't recall seeing. So thanks, Mike G for hopping in. And he's thrown a couple, um, He's thrown a couple comments in here. One was he has a 22-year-old who doesn't remember a good Sabres team. That's unfortunate, Mike. But Mike's mentioning, why does Pagula and Adams remain quiet? They need to at least get in front of the mic and talk to fans. Okay, so you, you'll have a take on this just real quick, and then we'll end it after this. I don't I don't care too much about hearing Pagula talk, honestly, because I think that he's just delegated. I, I understand why fans want it. For me, I don't care. I understand fans why fans want it. I do. Um I don't expect him to have like, there's no, there's not going to be teeth to what he says anyways. And I think that he's fully delegated Kevin Adams to just be that spokesperson on the family's behalf when it comes to the Sabres. That's just my take. I don't know what, what do you, you probably, you are as a journalist that covers a team. I'm sure that you have an interest in hearing from Terry Pagula. Sure. It would be make my job more interesting if he would weigh in. If it was like Jerry Jones and the Cowboys right after games and he's just holding court to be, be interesting but even when he does speak sometimes there are the last time he spoke you know and fielded questions was after firing botterell and hiring kevin adams and there's some words there that i feel like he won't escape until he proves proves it as far as you know operating economic efficient all these things you know somewhat blunt in some of that and so yeah, I'm always, I always appreciate fans who want to hear from them because so often I hear from people. I rarely bring these things up. I do the comment. I think Kevin Adams is pretty available. Um, and, you know, he, he's not, you know, hiding or anything like that. He speaks as regularly as I feel is, is necessary. Um, and I think is, is pretty accountable in doing so. But normally I don't bring up, you know, all this, he should talk more. Terry should talk more because I feel like most fans don't care. So I appreciate the ones who do that, you know, I think we know what he's going to say. That's part of my whole thing. Like, I don't don't think I'm not trying to let the guy off easy. Sometimes, but sometimes we don't, I I don't know. I find Terry to be kind of a unpredictable and interesting figure because he doesn't speak very often that when we're having this Granado conversation, I don't know. He could he could hang out the rest of the year or Terry could wake up one day and be like, you know what? That's enough. And yeah. so I don't really know because we don't hear from him very much. And because, it, you know, that makes it hard to develop a relationship with him. And that makes it hard for I even feel like. You know, the inner circle to necessarily know what he's going to do. It's it's kind of hard. But, you know, we have some clues based on, you know, his be- behavior and some of his past words, but. No, it certainly wouldn't hurt to speak to the fans of this team that are still there after all these years at, while you're trying to fill the arena. And, you know, it, it, it wouldn't hurt. There, there's definitely no doubt about that. But I don't have any sort of bone to pick with him that he doesn't, you know. It's, it's his call and doesn't really change how I view him necessarily because a lot of owners are are the same, you know, the same way. Skinner, Thompson, Akposo, the new era tonight in LA. Um, Akposo did, by the way, 69% Corsi four last game. Peyton Krebs, 75%. Dungus Gergensen, 77%. Interesting. Okay. Re- rewarding the captain for, for some jam. He showed up late in the game. I do. I didn't. I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe I was drifting in and out. I had a kind of like. Well, I think I texted you. I was like, I haven't heard Akposo's name like all game long, and then he scores. But I was like, uh, I don't know if that's good when you don't hear your captain's name <laughs> in the game. No, it's not great, <laughs> and that's 
you know, they've tried to spread <laughs> out the quality that we're talking about, the the guys that have some sort of competitiveness and like to get to the net. They've tried to spread it out on different lines and mix and match a little bit more. Even to an extent, when we talk about offensive net driving, like Jeff Skinner's got some of that. You know, he works around the net, but not in the, you know, in the physical sort of way that you might get from Ocposo. So I guess we'll see. We'll see if the the shakeup or what buttons Donnie tries to press here as as his chair gets warmer and warmer. I look forward to talking about a Sabres victory over the Kings, and then I will just retract everything that I said in the first 30 minutes or so of this podcast. I don't. I really don't think it's going to change. I think we, we kind of know where this is going. So anyways, if you missed that, go back and check it out. Um, all right, I'll let you get rolling. Um, warm-ups are probably already done. They're going to be on the ice soon. Let's get to that. We're an hour in. Thanks, everyone. It's a later... Uh, well, actually, it's not. It's actually earlier. Early. For us. <laughs> earlier for us uh, on the late game, but we don't do pre-game very often. Not a pre-game show, which is we're kind of filling that slot with uh, Matthew and I getting together in our weekly little shindig here. Thanks, everyone, for hopping in. Thanks for the comments, as always. If you could, please like the video, subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't already. You can find the Baker Fairburn Hockey Show audio only, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a five-star review. Talk about how pretty Matthew is and how not pretty I am. Does that sound right? Um, but I think that's it, Matthew. We'll come. Oh, you, you looked like you had something to say. And while you you're at buy Kevin Snow's book. Yeah, I was going to say, well, next time, I want you to put it up on the, I want you to put that up on, on the camera so people can check that out. I'm glad. The science you, uh, of hockey. I thought yes. of it because I was looking at our screen here and saw it over my shoulder and thought we've never plugged it. And there it is. Uh, awesome. So go buy that book. It's a, it's a, it was a really, really fun and, and good read. It came out last year. So maybe some people have already bought uh -oh. and read it, but if you haven't buy it, buy it. And if you did buy it, then buy another copy and give it to a friend. Snowy's Support the best. The local author. Snowy's awesome. Snowy's the best. Snowy was the first guy when he worked for the Sabres way back in 2008 when I started my website to uh, reach out when he was doing PR at the time. Snowy was one of the first guys to invest in me as a person. So he's uh, good in, the, in this space, a person in this space. So I'm forever uh, indebted to Kevin, but he's a hell of a writer too. That's a great book. All right. For Matthew Fairburn, for the production crew out in front of my house getting rained on, I'm Chris Baker. Thanks, everyone, again for the comments, questions, and we'll see you again next time.